This podcast is offered by San Francisco Zen Center on the web at sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good evening. That's the thing about um, doing Dharma talks on Zoom is that you somehow sometimes have to leap down off the seat and uh, um, adjust something or hit a um, hit a button on your screen. It's it's a new it's a new thing, and there's no real well-defined protocol for it. So here we are. Since we're here in this place, in this time, with the requisite comforts and discomforts, the strangeness of meeting in this both miraculous and very strange way. Um, I thought I'd talk about a particular koan uh, due to um, Dongshan. So the koan goes like this. You know, Dongshan and, and his monks were um, in the Dharma hall, having a discussion that probably started just about like this, only, you know, with Dungshan giving the talk, which would have been probably way better. And I, my feeling about it is it was probably the middle of summer and I don't know, But I'd be willing to bet that where uh, the Dungshan's place, um, it was hot in the summer. And so a monk, you know, stands up, wipes the sweat from his brow and says, teacher, when the heat comes in the summer and the cold comes in the winter, what should I do? And Dungshan says, well, why don't you just go to the place where there's no heat or cold? Maybe the monk thought, wow, there's a place where there's no heat or cold. Call my travel agent. But um, he asked, he said, so what's the place where there's no heat or cold? And Dongshan says, "Hmm. when the heat comes, the heat kills you. And when the cold comes, the cold kills you. When the heat comes, the heat kills you. When the cold comes, the cold kills you. So Dongshan I remember his I, I don't remember his original name. Dongshan simply means uh, East Mountain. It was the name of the mountain that he he where he was the abbot. Um, but what they say about him is that he had a he started out early in the in the in monastic life. He was 
taking a you know a sort of um, you know early course in in Buddhist liturgy when he was a kid, and the the teacher had them all chanting the Heart Sutra, and and he at the end of the chanting he speaks up and he says, you know, in the Heart Sutra it says here, um, no eyes, no nose no tongue, no body, no mind. I'm pretty sure I have a I have eyes and a nose and a tongue and a body. Um, and the teacher was totally flabbergasted and didn't know what to say, but he kind of called up Dungshan's parents and said, hey, you know, um, he might do well in a monastery. And so after a while he was sent off to a monastery and he, he studied in various places. Um, and I think I could be wrong about this, but I think he was at Yaoshan. Um, and he decided to take his leave, I think kind of in discouragement because he felt like he wasn't progressing as a, as a student. And as he was leaving, he, he asked his teacher, he said, please, if someone asks you, ask me about your teaching, what should I say? And his teacher said, say just this is it. And Dongshan didn't understand. But he left and he was walking and as um, monks in the in those days did walking long a long way across um, China to go to some other temple. And um, at one point he was crossing a stream and he looked down and he saw his reflection and he had this moment where he he understood what his teacher had been saying um, and, and woke up in this really sudden and, and remarkable way. And afterwards, he wrote a poem and, and sent it to his teacher. And it went something like this. It said, avoid seeking elsewhere. That's far from the self. Um, now I travel alone. I meet it everywhere. It is exactly me, I am not it. We must understand thus to experience thusness. Hmm. I meet it everywhere. It is exactly me, I am not it. So in this case, the koan, Dungshan's question about the Heart Sutra, his encounter with, with his teacher and the, um, 
and the the poem he wrote after he woke up um, really are all pointing at in some ways the same thing. Um, There are these two modes of experience or engagement that are continuously operating um, in the body and mind. And they're called various things in, in the Buddhist literature. Um, so they're kind of referred to early on as the two truths. There's the two truths doctrine. Um, um, in, in English, we use a translation, I think, of Sanskrit terms for them that are um, usually translated as the relative and the absolute. Um, Dongshan referred to them in a later document that he wrote um, as the kind of the crooked and the straight. Um, and um, Suzuki Roshi famously said um, something like everyday mind and big mind. Um, but they're, they're, they're kind of the fundamental components of our experience. And the, you know, everyday mind, the one we're most familiar with um, is concerned with, and, and the one, I guess, more specifically that we're the most capable of being familiar with um, is concerned with um, but, you know, interestingly enough, largely with memory um, in some ways, with, with engaging with experience in a way that uses, uses memory in various ways to form generalizations, categories, um, uh, um, to, to reach conclusions and, and, and to, um, in a way that's, that's peculiar to construct pictures of the future that are based on, um, I think peculiar in some ways to humans, construct pictures of the future that are based on memories of the past extrapolated in some way that, that we know how to do and sort of in some ways have a gift for. Um, and all, all of this in the service of, of putting together a model for the world and a model for the self situated in the world that we can work with skillfully to um, do the things that humans do to get around in the world without bumping into things. Pretty much most animals can do that. Um, some, some animals are better at it than others. Um, to to form rich and complex social networks um, on a 
uh, also multi-layered social networks on a, on a bunch of different scales that um, in which we participate to survive, acquire resources, um, uh, connect with others in various ways and so on and so forth. Um, that's what we do. That, that and, and, the, and everyday mind is the mind that, that brings forth the capacities that we use to engage in all of that activity. Um, and it's easy to, it's easy to kind of, you know, speak dismissively of everyday mind. Oh, you know, it's so everyday. But actually, uh, we wouldn't be hum human if we didn't have it. Um, we'd be something else. Lord only knows what. Um, we wouldn't be here doing this now if it wasn't for everyday mind. Um, we wouldn't have Zoom to do it with either. Um, so, you know, let's, let's have a quiet but unmistakable cheer for everyday mind. The other, the other mode of in, engagement, um, big mind, the absolute, um, the straight, um, has a very, very different flavor. It meets the world, experiences the world, takes in the world in a way that it's worth pointing out is still deeply conditioned, okay? Because it's conditioned by our physiology, by the actual nature of our um, uh, of our sensory hardware and um, and the way in which the information from that sensory hardware gets gets turned into sensation, perception, um, and so on. Right? Um, it's it's also conditioned fundamentally by the laws of physics and the and the the accidents of um, of cosmology, right? Our, our experience of the world would be radically different if those things were, were, if those things were even a little bit different, it, you know, we are, we're formed by the world in this very specific way. We're conditioned by the world in this very specific way from the ground up. Um, but nonetheless, the, this other mode has a lot less of the categorization, um, uh, you know, generalization, clinging to consistency and persistence and all the rest of that sort of thing that characterizes um, everyday cognition or self-construction, right? The everyday self-construction. Um, it it ha it has a very different flavor, and and more subtly, the the emotional and yeah you know, the kind of feeling tones that underlie it are are very different than the than those that underlie everyday cognition. Um, the the narratives that that underlie every everyday cognition have a um, 
always have a have a kind of emotional undercurrent that is designed to push us to conclusions, to push us to action, to push us to the next um, logical thought in some sequence, and et cetera, too. Um, the other mode doesn't have so much of that. It has something else. Maybe we can talk about a bit later. So, That's kind of how we're. Um, that's kind of how we're put together, um, and it, as much as we're, we're we should all be willing to cheer on um, everyday cognition. It's also that the everyday cognition and this and the the suffering that goes along with it. Um, that arises directly out of it, out of the, the self-construction, self-reification, sorry, and attachment that, um, that comes along with it are the source of suffering as recognized by the Buddha. They're, they're also the source of, our, of the vast bulk of our human activity, but they're fundamentally the source of that suffering. And, 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 if we want to be free, um, there needs to be an, another way of meeting the world, of holding our experience that that allows for that freedom. And the, the fundamental proposition is that 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 mode, that that other way of meeting and holding the world, is always present with us. It's just that we kind of don't see it um that's kind of what the the buddha said in the mahayana formulation in any case when he woke up he said oh look at that we all have um the we all have awakened mind we just don't see it because we're preoccupied with what well being a self um uh planning our world domination um Etc. So the great thing is that we can all experience this directly through practice. That's the, uh, the, the request of Zazen, the fundamental request of Zazen is to sit in the middle of of our actual everyday life and the everyday cognition that goes along with it. And to settle, to um, soften, to let go of um, habitual preoccupation, um, uh, patterns of thought, um, uh, patterns of memory and so on just to let them come and go to the point where this other mode of, of being, other mode of engagement rises into our awareness and shows itself. Um, and 
and then after that to 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 deepen and broaden our exploration of that of the relationship between those two modes of being such that in the end um the the what looked like a barrier between them the this sense that I, i'm so i can be so tangled up in um you know planning and scheming or you know arguing with my least favorite colleague at work or um worrying about the cold that um that that other mode of being with its sort of softer broader engagement is inaccessible but actually that's not true it's not it's not inaccessible it, that inaccessibility is an illusion um and in some ways kind of a convenience um uh, the the everyday mind wants to run the show because that's the way it wants to work it doesn't actually have to be that way um so fundamentally pointing back to the koan and maybe obliquely referencing another koan there's always someone who's not cold there there's always someone who for whom that experience of cold is just itself without um the garnish that we invariably add onto it when we say sensation perception mental formation and consciousness hiding in there is the is this you know complex process um of attaching recognition stories um uh aversions uh you know thoughts of escape etc to a sensation like cold um uh there's always one who's not cold or as dungshan said there's always a place where there's no heat or cold and the 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 gateway the entry there is to um allow the experience to register so directly and with so little complication that it just registers as itself without um the window dressing um and that maybe the window dressing just registers as window dressing and and is held lightly and um and where it's possible to just let it go um of course if you're if your if your body is experiencing cold and you um and you ignore it then after a while you might get really cold and you might I, so i i had this experience once um i i'd never gone skiing in new england and i was living at a boarding school and um and i didn't really have any ski equipment at all um but some friends of mine invited me to go skiing and i you know i wasn't a particularly good skier but i thought great so i'll get to do this and i'll get to hang out with these people and that will make my life good and so i i went up and and they took me through the process of renting some skis but i was really kind of embarrassed and and uh um 
and shy and so on. And so I, I, when they said, well, we should rent you a parka, I was like, oh no, I have a jacket. And they said, well, we should rent you some of these pants. And I was like, oh no, I have some pants. And it sort of went on like this. So I managed to rent some skis and get out in my, in my sort of, you know, spring outfit and get dragged up to the top of a, of a chairlift in Vermont. Um, and um, ski down once, kind of skied down again. And by the third time down, <clears throat> I was feeling really weird. And, um, and I was like, oh, well, I think I'll just go lie down over here in the snow. <laughs> And I did. I lay down in the snow. And next thing I knew, the, the ski patrol guy was was like shaking me and staring me in the face and saying, hey, what's going on here? And I was basically, you know, like dying of hypothermia. So if you so if you experience cold and you ignore it, um, you can you can get into trouble. So that's not the request that's being made here. Right. The request that's being made is to is to take care intimately of the experience, but not be, um, but not suffer because of our habitual reaction to cold. Um, and to act skillfully to take care of it when it's a problem. That's the place where there's no heat or cold. Mm. And in this time, it's worth remembering that that's the that that's possible, um, because it's so easy with the the difficulties and disruptions that everyone's experienced to experiencing now to fall into the um, the habit of continuous patterned reactive um, spiraling thoughts with uh, with powerful emotional drivers that that really make life difficult um, to bring some of this other mode of being into the middle of that is um, is tremendously beneficial and relieving um, to to sit in such a way that 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 mode of being rises up and expresses itself um, fully in the moment is the source of 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 kind of unconditioned gratitude right care time yeah so Normally gratitude, the way we experience, experience it has a conditioned element. Um, I'm grateful because, I'm grateful to so-and-so because, um, and so on. There, it, it ha it's because of some um, event that happened in the conditioned realm and that we recognize as being is having value in some uh, or or benefit in some um, in some sort of under certain conditions. Let's put it that way. And 
and we and we experience in that moment a kind of um, a, a kind of a sensation of well, I've, probably everyone's experience of gratitude is is somewhat different, but mine is kind of a, a kind of a sensation of solidity, warmth, and and a kind of mellowing and softening that happens as a result. Um, I can rest here um, because of the causes and conditions of the moment. Um, but since that gratitude is conditional, it also carries with it, with it the seeds of its own destruction. Um, because it's easy to spin up a, a conditioned feeling and cling to it. And then when those conditions somehow dissolve, when all of a sudden things aren't so good, that, that, that gratitude, that enjoyment is, um, becomes questionable or, um, in, or even inaccessible, right? Um, The gratitude that arises in the domain of the absolute is just the experience. It's unconditioned. It's without precondition except the, pre the precondition of having a body and be being capable of experience. So in that sense, it's conditioned. And in all of the ways that we're usually, that we're used to conditioning our experience, it's not, it's just gratitude. And that's that can be tremendously helpful to be just to be present with whatever is going on with whether it's um, whether it's anxiety, cold, fear, um, uh, in health or disease, any of these things, right? Uh, any of these dichotomies or constructs that we carry along with ourselves, and and um, and place on the table the 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 underlying ground of the experience can be this um unconditioned gratitude this is this is this is life arising and it's a miraculous gift this is this is the body and it's a it's a mysterious and um marvelous These are the things of the world. They come forward and present themselves and speak in their own voices. Matchless gift. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, please visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we all fully enjoy the Dharma.